thank you for the folks sitting in our balcony today. It's being well used. I appreciate the sacrifice you make to be up there and to help us uh, with the room that's needed on the floor. Uh, it's a big deal, and I don't want you to think it un goes unnoticed or uh, unthought of. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, the Old Testament, uh, one of the minor prophets. Uh, you can find it uh, just by... Uh, turning to the middle of your Bible and then going to the right a little bit further. And so take your time in getting there. You'll probably want to lay your eyes on your copy of God's Word this morning, if you're able to, because we're going to refer back to it. Uh, and I think you're going to want to be able to research it and, and see where we're going. Uh, we're going to do this as a small, short series um, in this um, last days of winter as we lead up to spring and so we had a great time in the book of revelation going through the seven churches the seven letters to revelation if you didn't get a chance to be with us for those those are on our website and you can look them up and watch them there listen to them uh, even on a podcast that we have you can find that on your app store uh, it's all available there and so it's good to move on uh, to something in the old testament some a narrative uh, a historical account uh, of what god did and recorded for our eyes through one of his prophets, the prophet Jonah. Little is known about Jonah. He's not a big figure he, in the New Testament. He's not someone we have a lot of uh, genealogy about or we know where he came from, where he was going. We just mostly have this episode and then a few mentions elsewhere uh, in Scripture. And so a couple of questions as we uh, really start into this. The, one, the first is, who is the main character of Jonah? You don't have to answer this, but as we look at this, as we start on this journey, we need to know who is the main character, who's the focal point of this book. Is it Jonah? Uh, is it this whale or this big fish uh, that's involved? Uh, is it the Ninevites? Uh, who is it uh, that is the focal point? And I want you to see this morning that the focal point of this is none of the above. The focal point is the mercy of God. It is God himself and his outlandish mercy. His mercy to Jonah, his mercy to the Ninevites. God's mercy is on full display, and that's the main character here. And so who are we to identify with as we read through this? Who are we to see ourselves in? Certainly not God in this case. Uh, certainly not the whale, I mean, I don't know, but in, certainly not the whale or the fish. We're to see ourselves in the prophet Jonah. And so as we approach this, our temptation can sometimes be to be like, bad little Jonah, right? Poor, uh, bad, he, I mean, look how bad he is, because we know the whole story from beginning to end. Uh, but we really are to view ourselves as the prophet Jonah as the recipients, the beneficiaries of God's outlandish mercy. Because we are no better than him. We sang a song just a moment ago, and these words really stood out to me. If you've been what? Forgiven. If you've been redeemed. And if you're here today, and somehow under the impression that you are right with God, without being forgiven without being redeemed, then you're deluded. There's not a one here who is right with God without having been bathed in his outlandish mercy. And so we don't look at the prophet Jonah uh, with all the picture in view. 
of how bad and how rebellious he is. We want to learn from that, sure. But we want to see in ourselves that same seed of sinfulness and how God looked upon Jonah, the rescue he provided, and how God looked upon the Ninevites is how he has reached down to save you and me. Praise God that we had this story in them. Uh, in our Bibles. And so turn with me to Jonah chapter 1 and we'll begin in verse 1 and we'll go on to verse 16 today. I hope this is a practical and helpful message. It's not going to be, I don't think, theologically deep, uh, but just some things stand out to me that I think are helpful um, and very useful as we look at this prophet. If you don't have a Bible today, these words will be on the screen And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And we have those for you on the table in the back. As you leave, you can't miss them. Uh, They're set out there. You grab one and take that with you, no cost. Uh, We want you to have that, and we want you to make it a part of your life. And so you do that if you need it. Now the Word of the Lord. The word Lord there is all capital letters in your Bible. And that signifies that it is the proper and eternal name of God, Yahweh, the I am, the self-existent one, the one who is Yahweh. One of my, probably my top favorite name of God. It's just, um, it's just um, eternal. Now the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. How was Nineveh great? It was a huge city full of money and commerce and people and livestock. I mean, it was moving. It was big. It was notable. uh, It was powerful. Go to Nineveh, that great city. It wasn't great as far as goodness goes, but it was a big one. That great city and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose. He did rise to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Who hurled the wind? Who did that? It wasn't an accident, right? It was the Lord. The Lord Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the the sailors, the mariners were afraid and each one cried out to his God. They all have different gods, probably have multiple gods. And they hurried and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. How asleep was he? Fast asleep. You ever been fast asleep? Some kid jumps on you, right? And you just, you're deep in sleep. Jonah was deep in sleep, sound asleep. There he is in the bottom of the ship, just snoozing away. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? I love that. What, I could say that to some of y'all on Sunday mornings. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God, perhaps the God. That's very interesting, isn't it? Just so many gods, this God, that God, you know, you call to him, I'll call to this one. 
perhaps the God, your God, this God, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to them, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? They want to know more about him now. And where do you come from? What is your country? And uh, what of your people? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid. Uh, I don't know why they were particularly more afraid now. Maybe they knew the reputation of Yahweh and his people. Maybe they had heard of him and knew that he was a an exceeding God, or maybe just the fact that Jonah told them, here's the one that I, I fear, and he's the maker of the sea, and he's the maker of the land. He controls all this right where we're at, right where we're perishing. He's the one who governs there. They're, they're greatly afraid, exceedingly afraid, and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? I think they probably knew. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest, the tempest is a storm, has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased, excuse me, ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I don't think they were converted. I mean, maybe. I don't think there's evidence here that they were converted. But I do believe that they incorporated now the Lord, so, so to speak, as one of their deities and one of the parts of the mysticism that they followed. And so we see Jonah has a plan here, doesn't he? And I think it reminds me of some of the plans I've made in my life that fell apart. And I want us to look at this today as four false confirmations of a bad plan. There was reason for Jonah to believe this plan was okay. And I want to look at this together so that we don't make the same mistake. The first reason is this. The plan made sense. I mean, if you think about it, the plan really made sense. We look at it and we're like, you don't run from God. You're not supposed to run from God. But if you think about what Jonah's task was, it was to go to Nineveh. And his fear was understandable because Nineveh was a bad city. It was a dangerous city. The crime and the murder and the evil and the rape and all the wickedness there was mighty. We can't even imagine what was happening in Nineveh. It was a foreign city. The people were different than Jonah. Maybe he would look at them and think they don't belong as the people of God. These are evil people. Uh, these are bloodlusters. These are sacrificers. Uh, they're children they're giving on the altars to these false gods. It's a foreign city. It's a wicked city. Whenever the Bible uses the phrase that their evil has come up before me, it means that their evil has risen to the top, right? 
It's, it's bad evil. There's lots of evil in the world, but their evil has risen up before God and gotten his attention. It was a desperately wicked city, and it was a hostile city. They weren't going to tolerate anybody coming against them. And Jonah's task was to go to that great city and do what? To cry out against them. He's not coming out of there, what, alive. This is a deadly task that God has given him. And so it's understandable to us. It computes in our brain. It makes sense. I'm supposed to go here. It's the worst place imaginable. Many of us don't even want to drive through Atlanta, do we? Right? We'll take an extra 45 minutes just to not have to go there. It's the worst place imaginable. There's no way anybody in their right mind would go to Nineveh. Let us go to Tarshish, anywhere else besides Nineveh. It makes perfect sense. But God has a higher way, doesn't he? This week was Groundhog Day on Friday. Everybody waited to see, Scotty especially was waiting to see if the uh, groundhog was going to see its, see its shadow or not. This is our groundhog in Georgia. There is a main, a primary groundhog in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, named Puxatawney Phil. Down here in Georgia, we don't listen to that Yankee. Uh, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to get our own groundhog, and we did. There he is, and his name is General Beauregard Lee. He used to live right over in um, Gwinnett County, but they moved him to Jackson, Georgia, where they had built for him a miniature, a tiny little mansion that he lives in and here he is at his mansion coming out of it general beauregard lee did not see his shadow and that means we're going to have an early spring right it's going to warm up can't you feel it already today it's going to warm up <laughs> it's going to be great but probably most of us after we heard this about general beauregard after we heard this we probably didn't rush in and take our potted plants and put them outside this weekend, did you? And you probably didn't pack away all your kids' winter clothes and the Rubbermaid containers and put them back in the closet. And guys, you probably didn't go outside to the faucets on your house and take off that little foam covering that protects them from freezing, did you? Why is that? Because we don't trust groundhogs <laughs> to make our decisions for us. We don't even trust a weatherman to do that, right? And for good reason. The difference between a groundhog and me and you, and the difference, arguably, between a weatherman and a groundhog, right, is vast in our ability to process things and understand information and, and project potentialities. I mean, there's no comparison. We would never take advice from a groundhog for real. But when it comes to our own judgment, substituting it for the one and only eternal God, our maker, well, we're pretty comfortable with that. We do that a lot, don't we? And the, the distance between us and Yahweh is vastly more expansive than the difference between a groundhog and the weatherman. We have a limited capacity to decide things. But Jonah, even though it's understandable, even though it made perfect sense, he might have thought, man, this plan really works out in my mind. 
This plan is what my mama would want me to do. This, this, this plan is what, what, what makes sense to me. He didn't take a minute to consider the greater plans of Yahweh. We can't trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves in many of these matters. The Bible says this about the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. <clears throat> Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We don't have the thoughts of God. He does. Habakkuk 1 says this, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. What God does, the realm in which he operates, is so different from us that we would not even believe it if he told us. That's how much higher he is. That much is how much more powerful are his works. Our memory verse for this month is from Ecclesiastes 3. He has put eternity into the heart of man. But even so, he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has placed within us a notion of eternity, a notion of otherness, that this is not all there is, but he has not given us full knowledge to know what he is doing or has done from the beginning to the end. We are finite. We are limited. Whose judgment, whose judgment do you give more weight to in charting the course of your life? Your own or God's? When's the last time really in a decision you paused, you prayed, you turned to God's word, you took time to hear and to consider what it was God would have in that moment. We do not have the standing and we do not have the esteem uh, to measure right or wrong for ourselves, godliness and goodness for ourselves, or God's will, students, or God's will for our lives or for his world. We don't have an esteem that is greater than that of the creator to do those things. The plan made sense. And if we're not careful when something makes sense, we may give a nod to it. But secondly, Jonah saw the plan worked out. He went on down to Joppa and he found a ship there. What did he need? I mean, he needed a ship. And there one was, right? A ship was right there. He needed to pay the fee, and somehow he was able to reach in his pocket. He had the money. He was able to pay the fee. He was able to board that ship. It was going to Tarshish, one of the farthest places you could probably go to, and that's exactly where he wanted to be, as far from Nineveh as possible. It was working out for him. Things were working out. His plan was succeeding. There was a confirmation here that maybe this plan wasn't so bad anyway, because after all, everything was clicking. If, if Jonah wanted some clues that it was going to be okay, he had all the clues he needed. We call this sometimes an, an open door, don't we? Oh, there was an open door there, right? I saw an open door, open door mentality. And that can sometimes uh, work in accordance with other signs to lead us into God's will. But sometimes an open door could be opened by the enemy. It could be an open door to walk through that Satan wants you to walk into. And Jonah, sure enough, had many open doors. The ship was there. The sailors were there. They were going. He could go with them. It was all working. Sometimes we say, oh, it was a closed door. And sometimes that closed door is put there by the enemy. It's meant for us to overcome it. It's meant for us to go prayerfully to God and say, God, defeat this obstacle to your work and to your mission. An open door and a closed door mentality 
can sometimes confuse us. And in this case, if Jonah was looking for confirmation, is this right? Am I going to get away with this? Is it going to be okay? Is God going to crack down? He said, oh, it's all working out. The door is open. It's going to be okay. But it wasn't, was it? I saw an article this week about a, a tree that got cut down in South Georgia. Loggers were logging this area of land and cutting down some big old what they call chestnut oak trees. <clears throat> they saw inside the trunk of one of them after it was laid up on the big truck there, they looked down into the hollow space and there was a dog in it, a, mummy, a fully mummified dog, right? That doesn't mean it's wrapped up in bandages. It just means it was like preserved. This type of tree apparently does that. Uh, and so this dog, they, they speculate, had been there for 50 years, since, since 1960s, and they're guessing that it chased uh, an animal uh, through a hole in the bottom and up into that tree and began climbing up there after it, and the further it went, the tighter it got until it got so tight it couldn't back down, it couldn't go any further, and there it died right in that tree and was preserved perfectly. I wanted to show you a picture, but it is nasty. It is a gruesome looking picture but that dog is still in that position one paw in front of the other one its teeth are snarling and bared right it's it's like it's alive it's it's perfectly preserved it's right there in that tree you can see it in the museum now just like this and don't you know that on the first few steps of that journey as that little squirrel was going up that tree perhaps and that dog said hey there's a hole here i can go to and he started going don't you know he thought oh this is going to work out great right I mean, oh, I can't believe this. I'm going to catch this squirrel up in this tree. And there he went until that uh-oh moment. Those first few steps where we see that things may be clicking, things may be clicking in this relationship. They may be clicking for me to go to this school. They may be clicking for me to marry this person. Yes, I did that on my taxes, that thing that everybody does. And it seems like it's all working out. It seems like it's all going to be just okay. It's clicking, clicking, clicking. Those first few steps are not the right indicator for us to rely on. I want to ask you today, how do you test if you are in alignment with the will of God? Is it because the plan worked out? Don't let your circumstances do your thinking for you. False confirmations, look out for them. They are a weak and destructive substitute for the unchanging character of God. You go to God. You go to the character of God. What would God have me do here? Not if, it, if the plan makes sense to you. Not if it starts working out for you. You go to God. But thirdly, the plan felt good. It felt good. How do we know this plan felt so good? Jonah apparently thought it was great. He was down to the bottom of the ship. And what was he doing? Snoozing it up. He was down there sleeping. He had no internal conflict about his choice. No pangs of conscience about what he had done. He was at peace about it, uh, wasn't he? He's fast asleep. That's another fallacy that we sometimes fall into. Do you have a peace about it? They say, well, do you have a peace about uh, marrying him? Do you have a peace about this decision? Not to mention that he doesn't love the things of God. Not to mention that she has nothing to do with the people of God. Did you, do you have a peace about it? And a peace can be a part of confirming the direction of God, the will of God in your life. But on its own, we have to be careful. It is just another one of our senses. Jonah, in his outright rebellion against God, 
felt really good. The plan felt good. Follow your heart. But what if your heart is leading you the wrong way? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand the heart? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right. It seems right to us. A way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I had a pain in my back uh, at one point many years ago. It's right up here at the top, but below my shoulder blade is a constant just aggravation, and my mind couldn't stop thinking about it. It's there all day, all night, just messed with me. <clears throat> I tried everything, and one night it was particularly bad. I thought, I'm going to put some icy hot on this. And uh, then I'm going to lay on a heating pad tonight when I sleep. And so I put some icy hot and you know, some cream on it. You know how that goes. And I laid down on the heating pad and went to sleep. Got up in the morning, went to work, put on my clothes. And somebody said, there's something funny on your back. And I reached back there and, and hit it, and it was just sopping wet. That's nasty, isn't it? It, it just made the noise of like a, you know, um, you can use that if you want, um, but it's a, a nasty noise. And I thought, what in the world is happening here? And, and so I, I examined it and asked Erica to help me. And uh, that icy hot compared, combined with the heating pad had burnt I mean, big time, way down a big spot on my back. I got the icy hot and I read it and it's big words. It says, do not combine with heat, right? <laughs> I did not know that. Still to this day, there is a huge, chunky scar, just a, a mass of tissue on my back here. Uh, my back doesn't hurt anymore. I have no sensation in it at all. <laughs> at Halloween, I let kids poke it with an ice pick just for, uh, for fun. But, but, uh, but it's there. I mean, I've got this big scar because guess what? It seemed like that would work, right? I mean, it just felt like that would be the, in fact, when I laid down on it, it did feel so good. I mean, it felt warm. It felt soothing. I thought, oh, this is just the thing. We can be in outright destructiveness. Spiritually speaking, I mean, we can be deadening and burning and going deep in sin, and it can feel just right sometimes, just like with Jonah. Use care. Use care in your plans. Does it seem like this makes sense? That's not good enough. You've got to go to the character of God. Does it seem like it's working out? The, the door is open? That's not good enough. You've got to know the character of God. Does the plan feel good? Oh, I just love him so much, you know. He just takes such good care of me, you know. He's hardworking, you know. But he has nothing to do with the things of God. Oh, everybody in my office operates this way, and our commissions, and, you know, we put it down this way. It's just a way, it's just a manner of, of doing things, and what about the character of God? Does it feel right? Sometimes that doesn't matter. Do you live with an awareness of the deceitfulness of sin in your life? There is an inherent untrustworthiness in our flesh that has misled so many people into being at peace with what is actually sin. God does not deceive in this way. You go with God. But lastly, the plan fell apart. The plan fell apart here. Verse 15, 
is very interesting to me. The whole account pivots on the identity of God. Look with me, if you will, in, in, in verses 8 uh, through about verse 10. If you've got your Bible, put your eyes there. This one's not on the screen. They asked Jonah uh, about himself, exploring, hey, how could this be happening? Is it, does it have to do with you? And once he says to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and earth, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, they were exceedingly afraid because they knew. And they asked him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, I'm fleeing from my God. I'm, the, the reason I'm on this ship is I'm fleeing from my God. And once they found out who his God was, they were terrified. They were greatly afraid. Why? Because of the identity of who God is. This is no weak God. He can do something about it when you and I stray into sin. In our, my high school homecoming week was a big week for all of us. And we, um, we would uh, toilet paper yards. We called it rolling yards. And all up and down Ringgold Road and East Ridge and homecoming week, there were just truckloads of teenagers who were going and uh, putting toilet paper on people's yards. The police were looking for us. The police had given word to, like, the grocery stores, do not sell to- toilet paper to these people. Uh, but we would find a way anyway, and we would get the toilet paper, and uh, we would just, it's all, it's all fun. It wasn't meanness. We all did it to each other's houses. And my friend Skip had a gray Chevy S10 <clears throat> that he would take us around in. We'd all be in the back of it with the toilet paper, and we went to one yard one night and uh, just did a terrific job on it. I mean, it was amazing. It was beautiful. I mean, tall trees, and felt like we had just so much time out there. And we, we toilet papered it. It looked like a winter wonderland. And then I heard someone scream, run. And I looked behind me, <clears throat> and this man was chasing us. Uh, out of the house, and he was fast. He was David Allen. It was, it was Nick Allen's house. Nick and David were brothers. It was Nick Allen who we were rolling his house. I didn't know it at the time uh, that it was Nick's house. I just, somebody let us out, and we rolled it, and so, um, and his dad was a policeman, uh, Stan Allen. Stan Allen wound up being my training sergeant in the police academy. That was fun, uh, and, but, um, but he, uh, he was chasing us down the street, and he was fast, and we were all running. We barely escaped him. My friend Dale was the last one to get there. We were at the, in the bed of the truck saying, come on, Dale, come on. And we pulled him in there right as Stan Allen's hand just, boom, on the bed of the truck. And Skip ran, took off out of there. We barely escaped by the skin of our teeth. And later on, we got up with Skip and like, why in the world did you take us to his house, Right? Because it matters, right? This guy's a cop, and he's fast, and he's mad, and he don't want to put up with this stuff. He is the one who came after us. It all pivoted on the identity of whose house you're out at. And in Jonah's situation, it all pivoted on who God is. This plan fell apart because the identity of who Yahweh is. Yahweh is not going to let his beloved run off from him into sin. Those that he has shed his blood for, he is not going to let you and me go off without a fight. The Lord loves us. And when we start to believe that God's final verdict comes through our senses, what feels right to us, what seems good to us, what's working out with us, 
then we're in a big mess. Here's how that shows up a few ways. God wants me to be with this person. I just know God wants me to be with this person. It doesn't matter they don't love God. It doesn't matter they have a trashy mouth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter all of this stuff. I know God wants me to be with them. God wants us to be together, live together before we're married. It just makes financial sense. It just works out in our brains. It's just, the, it's just what people are doing now. We can kind of have a, a test run before we're married. I'm going to make this financial decision. After all, don't I deserve it? Don't I deserve to do this? It's unwise. It defies the counsel of godly people. But I'm going to do it anyway. After all, I deserve it. It makes sense to me. I can talk however I want to talk. They're just words. It's just words. There's nothing sinful about words. What, who, who said words were sinful, Matthew? And after all, I've got freedom through Jesus Christ. This computes in my mind. It might even, it might even allow me to build a bridge to relate to unbelievers. If I begin talking the way that they talk, Matthew, you don't understand, Pastor. This makes sense to me. There's justification for this. There's reasonableness for it. It feels good. What about the character of God? I'm so angry at him. I am so angry for what he did, for what she did to me. I'm justified in my unforgiveness. I'm justified in my revenge toward that person. I'm just so angry. I can't get over it. Positions we hold on modern issues. Why can't a man and a man be married or a woman and a woman be married? After all, it, they're, they're sincerely, sincerely in love in their hearts. I mean, it seems so real. It seems so real to who? To me. It, it seems so right to me. It's so difficult for me to tell a friend that I care about that this is sinful. It's all about what I think and what I've interpreted and how I feel. And in a thousand other ways, we start to believe that God's final verdict on things comes by way of our senses and it plainly just does not it is the character of god that must be our touchstone for life's decisions and what we know about who god is what he's like and what matters to him that is what ought to guide and inform the choices we make and the steps we take and that comes through his word don't let anybody tell you there's a new word from god that needs to be added to this Somebody comes along and says, I've got a word from God. I've got a, sen a new sense from God. I know I'm married. I know I got kids at home. But God has shown me that I need this is the lady I'm supposed to be with. All these years I didn't know it. And now I, now I know it's just confirmed from God in so many ways. She's the one I'm supposed to be with. What about the character of God? God is not a betrayer. God is not a commitment breaker. God is not an orphan maker. He's an orphan taker. What about the character of God? And Christians do this all, all the time with that very scenario. It's all about us when really it should be about what matters to God. That comes through his word and he's giving no new words except for the closed canon of scripture. We can go to it and we can trust it. This week... 
I was uh, with so many people who were hurting. There's a lot of pain in our church right now. Pray for the Lester family that lost their youngest daughter. One family in our church, just a dear, dear uh, couple who are suffering greatly week by week. You, you know them, you love them. They sent in a little note, one of the hardest times that they've been going through lately. They sent in a little note to Kevin just to encourage him, just to love him, just to say thank you for the job he does for our church. A man who just had a major, major surgery at his house. Kevin went to visit him and got to his house. Three days after the surgery, all on the table were laid out cards that he was writing to people in our church to love them, to encourage them. I was sitting in the hospital with a lady who had just gotten word this week that her husband's not going to get better. They thought he might have a little time left. And she said, no, the doctors are saying he's probably not going to come through this. It's time for hospice. These are, these are young people. And she's saying it's, it's, it's going to be over soon. And they're across the, the couch in that, you know, those waiting room couches, those commercial-grade little chairs and stuff. We sat there in the hospital, and she looked at me and said, how are Jack and Louise doing, right? Boy, I'm praying for Jack and Louise. I feel, so, I feel so heartbroken for Jack and Louise Lester losing their youngest daughter. This stuff is crazy. It's crazy, the pain that you're walking through, that you're at home. Kevin, we love you. Kevin, you're our friend. Kevin, thank you for the work. Kevin, it makes a difference. Who would think that someone suffering like that would have the mind for other people? These are Christians. That's what makes the difference. Who would think that this man after a, a surgery, three days after this big surgery, can barely move, is there writing cards to people to encourage them, and that this dear lady, having just learned about the loss of her husband, would give a care about anything other than herself, and we would understand it, wouldn't we? We wouldn't even hold it against them. They're going through so much. See, I want to make the point today as we close that our job as Christians is not, it's often not only to settle for what seems right to the notions of our flesh. It's not that we just don't settle for that, but that we, in fact, many times do the exact opposite of what makes sense. We are otherworldly. We are to overcome self in order to reflect the character, goodness, and holiness of God. If your decisions, if your life has been shaped by your own judgment, listen, in many cases, like Jonah, that can lead you down the wrong road. Where are you, who are you running from on this good morning? In your decisions, in your direction, in your sin, in your life, have you been running Jonah looked and found that he was running from Yahweh God, and it caught up to him in a big way. If you're doing that today, it's time to turn back to God. Let me pray for us.